Welcome to Doggy Dish, where two of LA's best dog trainers serve up a hearty helping of dog topics. At the end of this podcast, we'll provide information on how to contact our trainers. And now, here they are. Hi, this is Laura Burhenny from Animal Attraction Unlimited. And I'm Kim Reinhart with Faint Misbehaving Canine. Thank you for joining us again. And Kim still has her cold. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is part two about dog play. And we were going to talk a little bit about what to allow and what not to allow. Right, the specifics of what's too much mm-hmm. and what's acceptable. Mm-hmm. So, what's her yours? Well, I don't, like 99% of the time, I don't allow two dogs to stand on their hind legs and play with their front ends up in the air. I agree. 99% of the time, that's not okay. Yeah. Occasionally, you'll see dogs that are okay doing that, but most of the time, not so much going to become a fight. Yes, exactly. They're just trying to see who's taller, who who can get mm-hmm. up there a little bit higher and, and get their little front feet around the other dog and force them to the ground. Yeah, that's a bad one. And then I don't allow it when one dog continuously is controlling too much of the game and making really nasty sounds. So if I have a dog that's making a lot of growling sounds and controlling the game, but it kind of has a back and forth quality to it. And seems, seems equal. I'm like not a, a giving and taking on right. both sides. But when one dog is being especially vocal and is controlling the game or appears to be controlling the game, I won't let that go on for a really long time because I think eventually that's going to create some... Well, problems. the dog on the bottom is going to get tired. Yeah. The dog that that's doing most of the taking and not much of the giving is going to get tired of it after a while. Mm-hmm. And by that point, the one who's doing the giving is not going to stop very easily. And then we get somebody who takes offense. Because they start to get built up and feel like they're really the bee's knees. I can do anything I want. And So whether it's wrestling type of playing or even kind of sometimes chasing games. Like my dog Chip loves to be chased and Sherman would, would always chase him. Mm-hmm. But then Petey would get into the mix because then Sherman would turn around. He would It was like tag. You know, Sherman would catch him and then he would turn around and run and then chip would chase after him mm-hmm. and then it would then they would do it the other way around and then part of chip's game was that he would like get into a corner and sit there and wait for sherman to get distracted and look over his shoulder for half a beat and then chip would like escape and go ha ha i escaped and then he would go running around pd on the other hand is a little too intense so when he corners chip chip decides ah, i don't like this so much and since we don't have sherman anymore Unfortunately, you know, Pete's the only one that will play that game with Chip, but I have to really keep an eye on it right. because otherwise Chip can get himself in trouble. Chasing games, it's fine, actually, if one dog's doing most of the running and one dog's doing most of the chasing. If you can clearly see that the dog's doing the running and wants to be doing the running. He's being chased because he wants to be chased, not because he's running from right. something. And the other dog will allow him the space to escape or yeah. allow him because they do that on purpose. Yeah. I mean, they'll look away. And get involved in something else on purpose. Yeah. Know, to allow the game to go continue. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that that's what Sherman did. Because the first couple times it happens, like, oh, Sherman gets distracted. But then I, I could see that it was purposeful. You know, Chip would be there and Sherman would be looking at him and looking at him. And then Sherman would, huh, I think I hear something. Or, oh, let's sniff this piece of ground right here. Because right. that's how the game would start again. So something that I will stop is if dogs get to, and I think that you said this on the last podcast, if they get too loud, if the noise gets too intense sounding. Yeah, and I think the intense is, it's it's an intensity. I mean, dogs can get loud when they're playing, but there's an intensity to it. Like a more urgent, like a more, yes. there's urgent something to it. Because I think that that's a very human thought process is mm-hmm. urgent. And it will get a more, it's a sense of urgency to it or a sense of. It's kind of 
like survival. Well, it is intensity. Yeah. That's also a good word. You know, it's just this intense sound. I'll step in and stop it. But when I step in and stop something like that, I might even say, hey, and be noisy enough to stop it. But then I remain very calm, Mm -hmm. very relaxed in my demeanor. And sometimes you can walk between dogs just to stop it. Like if if they're just playing a little too rough, you just walk between them and you just kind of keep, especially because if the, if, if one of them is more on the giving side, right, and you break it up, and then that one goes, okay, mom says stop it. Right. And the other one goes, no, come on, we could play for a few minutes more. I don't believe her. We could play for a few more minutes. And that one just doesn't, and you just stand there, and you just keep kind of hurting that mm-hmm. one back and go, not going to happen, not going to happen. Pressure. And finally they go, oh, okay. We just took a little play break in between doing one podcast and the other, and we went out and took some dogs out to play. And I have one of my dogs here and one of my puppies is staying with Laura. And so we took those two out to play and then Laura had another dog that was out there. And yeah, a rescue one, dog. Yeah. And at one point we were playing ball with the Australian Shepherds and the little terrier mix was acting uh, just a little edgy, a little tough. It was sort of play, but there was a toughness to the play. And I went to pick up the ball to throw it. And when I did, the... Aussies were both facing in towards me, mm-hmm. and the little terrier mix came in and just kind of stood right between me and the Aussies. And at that point, rather than throw the ball, I just turned around and walked the other direction for a couple of minutes. I told the Aussies to stay and, and, and waited until the terrier sort of lost interest, and then I threw the ball. And that's the kind of thing that you can stop trouble from happening. If I had thrown the ball in that moment when he was standing there looking so intense, they would have turned to run, and he would have... He was waiting for a reason. He was waiting for a reason to to chase after them. And he's not a tough dog. He's not a mean... He's kind of tough, but he's not mean. He's just kind of tough. You know, he's a terrier. He's got that whole, I'm the bigger, badder boy, (laughs) don't you know? But nothing really aggressive about him. But that's kind of those moments where a lot of times people who don't read dogs particularly well, they'll go ahead and throw the ball, and then you'll see something happen. As the dogs turn to run, he jumps in on them because he's just getting involved in it. Yeah. And that could start a fight. And you're, you're kind of setting the other dogs up. You're totally setting the other dogs yeah. up. Not kind of. You're totally setting the other dogs up. Here, let me throw this, and you're going to go chase it. And I know that this other dog is going to come after you as you've got your back turned and as you're bending down to pick up the toy. That is one of the plays, by the way, that I will stop. I will stop play when I'm playing with a ball, when I have a ball or something that I'm throwing for the dogs. And I can see that one of the dogs is really targeting the other dog as opposed to the the ball, the ball right, or the whatever toy. it is that I'm playing, that's one of those games that I'll interrupt. And I think that people get in trouble with this. They're playing with a ball, and they'll play with a ball with more than one dog. If all the animals are going after the ball, there could be an argument over it when they get to it. There could be some competition over it. But that's actually less likely than if they turn to run after it and one of the dogs targets uh, another is, dog is chasing the dog instead mm-hmm. of chasing the ball. It makes a big difference. Yes, because Be- the dog that's chasing the ball is now thinking about the ball, and he gets blindsided by the dog that's really intense with him. So that's a good time to stop the game or interrupt it somehow. Sometimes I'll just reach down and hold onto the dog that's really targeting another dog, mm-hmm. depending on the amount of training. Sometimes I'll ask that dog to stay. It just depends. Or take them out of the picture. Right. There's a lot of different ways. Oh, one of the things that I did for dogs that I had a problem with that with my own is I taught them to stay, one dog to stay while I was throwing the ball for the others. 
And then when I would release the dogs that, you know, when I would throw the ball and the dogs would all chase after the ball, mm-hmm. I would then take out a second ball and throw it the opposite direction for the dog that stayed. Or I'll even take, especially if that dog isn't interested in toys as much as he is the other dogs, mm-hmm. what I'll do is I'll actually reward the dog for right. staying next to me. I'll well, actually that, pay the dog for staying next right. to me and not chasing the other dog. Right. Well, that is the point of throwing the ball the other direction. The reason I use the ball instead is because I'm trying to get the dog to think about chasing the ball instead of, instead the, other of the other dogs. Right. So I just put him in a situation where he's going the opposite direction and he only has the ball to bring it. They all kind of come back at the same time, which is really good because it kind of integrates him into the game. So that's another time. What's another time that you can think of where you would stop dog play? Well, a lot of the leg grabbing stuff. Oh, I hate that. I won't, yeah. Or flank grabbing. Yeah, flank grabbing, right. Because that's kind of a disabling bite, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, dogs do that in an attempt to disable a prey mm-hmm. so that now they have a better shot at it. And mm-hmm. that kind of stuff I don't allow. Mm-hmm. I mean, grabbing the back of the neck and stuff, that's not a disabling thing. You know, when they mm-hmm. when they grab around their head or the back of the neck or the, the shoulder blades, that kind of stuff, that's not disabling. Breaking another dog's leg, breaking another animal's leg is a disabling blow, and that I hate. Actually, I don't like the grabbing the legs, and that's a big deal for me too, but I don't like a lot of dogs grabbing other dogs, to be honest with you. When they're playing, I like to see play that doesn't have a lot of biting for any duration. Mm-hmm. So they might bite at each other but there's a quick release quick release quick release if they grab a hold and try to control each other in that fashion that's usually play that i will unless i know the dogs very well and i've seen them play that way a lot and not have a problem i will usually interrupt that behavior because when they grab hold and start to hold on there is a bit of i'm trying to control you and that can turn ugly pretty quick the other dog can get tired of it yeah, so the, any grab at the leg, however, even a fast grab at the leg, I'm with you. I stop. Any grab that has any duration anywhere on the body starts to bother me after a while. If, you know, if there's a grab and hold. And body slamming, I will, I will allow body slamming to a certain extent. I won't allow T-boning. I will not allow a dog to T-bone. Like, if they go straight into the side of another dog, who, whether, you know, especially if the other dog is unsuspecting, doesn't see the dog coming, you know, because that can cause injury. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's just, that can roll the dog. That can, that can be a big issue. But if they turn around and they hit the other dog with their butt, that is acceptable. Right. Because that's kind of uh, I got you. Because by the time the other dog notices, they've got their back to them. And it's kind of like a chase me. It's like the beginning of a, it's like a solicitation of a, I'm going to bump you to get your attention. And then I'm going to take off. And I'm hoping you chase after me. And if they turn and bump another dog with their butt, they don't usually have the same kind of force. I actually will slow a dog down if they're coming in really hard on a dog. And I know they're going to body slam them that way. Even if they don't hit directly in the center of the dog. Even if they just slam into them, if they're coming and the other dog's looking the other direction and they really slam them, that can cause a fight or an injury. Neither one is yeah okay with me. So a lot of times if I see another dog really running in on a dog that's not paying attention, I'll say, hey, 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 just give them a little bit of a slowdown signal to just right. get their attention off of that real intense. I have Aussies. They really do a lot of that very intense stuff. But other breeds do too. I'm just thinking specifically about those stupid things that they do. But you see this a lot with a lot of breeds and control it. I also think that when people let big dogs play with little dogs, they have to be really, really, really careful. My big shepherd magic uh, before I had him, the previous owners had him and a West Highland Terrier uh-huh. who was a female, and they had the best game. He would lie down, uh-huh. and she would play with him. 
she would jump around his head and be all nasty terrier, you know, and she was the sweetest little thing. But he would just lie down and just lie there with his mouth open, and she would jump on him and grab him and then bounce back. And, you know, then he might try to hit her with his foot, but he was lying down the whole time. Right. So he was kind of matching their size. And I saw another... And energy, uh, too. Exactly. Power is what I mean, because actually the energy on the part of the Westie was probably uh, higher. Much higher, yes. But the power was about equal at that because, point. Because he was disabling himself, basically. Right. He, was, he was giving himself a handicap. So that's the kind of thing that's acceptable. But when you have a large dog playing with a little dog, even if the little dog seems especially game, I've seen very tiny dogs that were pretty game, that were pretty, you know, that thought they were pretty tough, but that were in a size match that just was going to become problematic. And they don't understand that. No, because it's play. The thing about a situation like that is play is play until someone gets pissed and then someone says stop. With two big dogs or two dogs of equal size and equal energy level, that is most likely going to be nothing. But when you have an especially large dog that's playing rough and you have a small dog that's playing rough, and if the large dog goes too far, it can be the difference between them having a great time and them really somebody getting hurt. Exactly. So you have to take into consideration power and size. Sure. Whenever, whenever you're allowing two dogs to play, because they can hurt each other accidentally. Or you could have the little dog get scared, fire on the big dog, and the big dog just responds quickly. Not necessarily nasty thing, but they just in the heat of the moment. And not to cause injury. I mean, it wouldn't cause injury to a larger dog, but it would to this little dachshund. And maybe it's even equal. Maybe it's even equal to what the little dog was doing. It's just that because it's a large dog, it's not going to be equal. You know what I mean? Yeah. No angrier, no more power, but the little dog can do it and not injure the big dog. The big dog can injure the little one. So that's one of those things that I'm really careful about, and I do step into. We used to have a rule at the daycare that I worked at, and that was above the knee and below the knee. So dogs that were above the knee weren't allowed to play with dogs that were below the knee. Now, that's a very open-ended rule, but... It, there was a reason for it because mm-hmm. it was a guideline. It was basically somewhere to start. Okay, right. we know now we have a size sort of. But you could have a seventy-pound basset hound that's below the knee who can hold his own with a big dog. Right. So that's where your judgment comes in. Right, which is why I say it was a guideline. But I mean, at least it was something where we were looking at it as, look, you got to really pay attention to that size difference. Well, you can have very. I mean, listen, my first pit bull was marvelous with puppies. I had her play with puppies all the time because she would do exactly what you were talking about magic doing. She would lay down and she would basically take herself to the place of being little. She would roll on her back. She'd do things to make herself be less powerful. She would disable herself. And so it was very comfortable and equal. But that's one of those places that you have to be careful. I think when dogs that don't know each other very well get into games that get super high energy, you need to start thinking about stepping in. Now, that's not to say that I would necessarily step in, but if I don't see big happy smiles and everything seeming totally relaxed, I'm going to step in if they don't know each other very well. And there's there's a difference also between a happy smile, like the mouth open, the tongue hanging out kind of stuff, versus a stress where it looks very similar, and the mouth is open, and the lips are back, and it looks kind of like a big, happy, relaxed smile, but it's not quite because the dog's eyes are a little bit wider. The dog's eyes are a little bit more dilated, and you've got these stress wrinkles that show up on the muzzle just underneath the dog's eyes. 
And that shows a sign of stress, and that shows the dog is not as happy as you might think. Even excess tension in the body will make me take a closer look at what's happening. So if I have two dogs that are out there lumping along and they're playing, but both seem very sort of relaxed and floppy, (laughs) I'm probably not going to get involved. It's probably going to take a lot for me to get involved. But if I see one dog is starting to stand a little bit taller on their legs... I'm not necessarily going to step in, but I'm going to keep an eye. What's happening here? Why do we have that? And then I'm going to start looking around at that face, and I'm going to start looking at other parts of the body to see, is there stress coming out in other places? When are the times that you wouldn't interrupt it? Like, one of the things, I know I've been in situations where I've been around dogs, that they were playing, and people got, got right in the middle of it, and I'm thinking to myself, no, it was okay. They were fine. Yeah. They were actually fine. So can you talk about... Any kind of that, those situations. You know, mostly I think that in that situation it's a sound thing. It's more of a sound. I'm listening again for the intensity of the sound. But like Chip really likes to play wrestling games. He really mm-hmm. likes to, to play rough with other dogs. He has kind of a high-pitched noise that he makes. And if he gets a little too high-pitched, then I'll stop it. Well, and that it's important to note that those high-pitched noises can turn things ugly, too. Oh, yes, yes. Even if he doesn't mean anything by the high pitch, another dog could go, oh, somebody's injured and I'm going to go help. That's right. That's right. I'm going to go help kill the injured thing. <laughs> You're okay. I'll put you out of your misery right, right now. Yeah, and that's, and that's another thing to take into consideration is that even though two dogs are playing, sometimes if a dog yelps, that's like a cry for let's kill him. Absolutely. And you need to be really careful about that. It always astounds me when people take large groups of dogs and put them together where none of the dogs know each other and let the play really go over the top. Because the problem with that is this. If one of the dogs does start to get on the receiving end of something and start Mm -hmm. to scream, all of those dogs can get kicked into action. It's really a huge problem. So if you're going to take your dog out into a place where there are a lot of dogs, know your dog. Hey, and you know what? Let me tell you. I'm just going to put it right out there. Here's a great big warning sign. If people say, oh, he's nice, you know, as long as they know their place, don't let your dog play with them. Because usually that means a dog that is friendly until things get a little bit over the top. and then Until somebody aggressive. tells him no. Yes, and then until gets Until somebody tells him no. Or plays a little rough or, or makes a mistake. Because a lot of times those are dogs that don't really signal very well. Yeah. They go from, I'm having a Zero good to time 60. to you need to stop right this second because I'm right. going to kill you. Right. Their tolerance level is basically lacking. Right. And, I mean, I've had groups of, you know, 17, 18 dogs playing uh-huh. together with just me. But these were all dogs that I trained. All dogs that I knew very well from basically the time they were puppies. And all dogs were under great verbal control. Right. And I could shut anybody down instantly. And I'm sure they were all dogs that you didn't have any question no, about no question how they played among others. Right. I mean, I've had dogs, and I know you have too, that they're good dogs and they will play, but they're dogs that I wouldn't mix with everybody. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Because I just know that their tolerance level is such that they're not going to necessarily start a fight, but they're going to be too quick, in my estimation, to mm-hmm. fire. So in a situation with three dogs, they're going to be just fine. And I'm going to have that level of control over them. But in a situation with 17 dogs, their energy Mm -hmm. actually will take those other dogs to a different place. Yes. Yeah. So kind of like the horse arena situation that I was talking about. Where with just a couple of additional dogs, it made it really too intense. But you take those couple of dogs out and we could really bring down the energy level of this other dog. Right. If you have a really quiet-natured, easygoing, uh, soft dog, 
and you're out in a place where there are multiple dogs and the play starts to get really, really amped up, it's a pretty good idea to pull your dog out of there. Absolutely. Because the likelihood that something's going to scare your dog and he's going to yip or react in a way that shows fear mm-hmm. and shows some panic and that that's going to then trigger something negative in other dogs is really great. Now, does that mean your dog is bad? No. It means you just need to know your dog and be aware that your dog maybe can't take that. Because I've had a lot of client dogs that have gotten hurt under that set of circumstances at things like places like dog parks where they were quiet-natured dogs and pretty timid dogs. And they simply got into a situation where there was such an arousal level going on that somebody came in and whacked them and they made noise and then they got attacked. Right. And especially the bully dogs. The bully dogs will do that. And I don't mean bully breeds. I mean dogs who behave like bullies because it's like they're going to totally. Yeah. Of course I am. (laughs) Pity owners. Hello. So, yeah, they they're going to take advantage of you while you're down. I mean, yes. that's what a bully does. Yes. They're going to wait. And, you know, if somebody, if somebody shows any vulnerability, that dog who is behaving like a bully is going to go, oh, now that you're down, I can really get you. If you're out and you have your dog out and your dog's into playing, but you have dog a dog show up in the scene or your dog starts to really crank his tail up really high in the air, I'm not talking about a dog that carries his tail up, but a dog that really starts to crank his tail up in the air, you need to start watching. Because that's oftentimes in play not a good sign. If he pulls his tail way, way up high and it gets real kind of rigid, you better pull him out. Or if somebody else's dog is doing that. A lot of times you'll see dogs, again, at dog parks. It sounds like I hang out of them and I so don't. But I've been to them and I've watched what happens. And a dog will come in and he'll come in carrying his tail way up high in the air. And I think, uh-oh, everybody needs to just take a step back here. And maybe that dog would then lower his tail down when he started to get comfortable. But since you don't know, you need to be proactive about just making sure that things don't spin out of control. Yeah, so it, that, I mean, because it's literally a big red flag. Sticking straight up in the air going, hey, something is, there's some tension here. Yes. That's all it says is that there's tension here. We don't know what's causing it. We don't know how long it's going to last. The dog, like you said, may start to get comfortable and may eventually lower it down. It may just be he's he's coming into a situation where he's a little bit nervous and he's trying to make himself as big as possible just so that nobody, because especially at dog parks, a dog walks in the gate and suddenly he's bombarded by 10 dogs. Yes, it's a very... And everybody's, oh, look at, look at everybody greeting him. No. <laughs> no. Actually, for the dog coming in, this is kind of scary. It is. It's very scary. <laughs> I know. It's like you going into Walmart and having 20 greeters come up on you and go, hi, 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 can I help you? Can I... But well, a little more aggressive than that. Yeah, exactly. So that's one of those things that what you would do in a situation, what I would do in a situation like that is calm the play down for a little bit, bring everybody to neutral, just give everybody a little something to do. So if all the handlers were to just call their dogs, ask them to do something, whatever, give it a little neutral area here to get in there and then let them go one by one and greet the dog, it may go okay at that point. Mm-hmm. The dog may be all right. A dog that comes in and instantly starts to play with his tail way up in the air like that, he's uncomfortable and he's starting instantly into rough play. That's a dog I worry about because he's not necessarily meaning to be tough, but what he's telling me is I'm going to start off with really tough play because I think that's the only way to get through this, but I'm nervous. And those two things together can cause acts of aggression. Right, because at that point his adrenaline level is so high. Mm Mm-hmm. That it could go either way, mm-hmm. and either the adrenaline level will eventually come down once he gets more relaxed, or it can take him over the edge. Right. There's a very, very fine line between play and fight, 
And all it takes is for one side to get their feelings hurt. Or fire or hit somebody the wrong way or something. It's most dog fights come from misunderstandings. Mm -hmm. Most dog fights come because something happens and it just happens in the instant and somebody else fires and then the next thing you know you have a scuffle. You know what it reminds me of? You know how when you have siblings and like one sibling will pin the other one to the ground and pretend like they're going to tickle them? Yes. (laughs) And it starts out fun at first and and they're both laughing and they're Mm -hmm. both laughing and then suddenly the one on the ground is crying or screaming or... Yes. And that's exactly what... What it reminds me of. Exactly. Starts out as fun play on both parts, but then when the one on the bottom is crying uncle and going, okay, stop, okay, stop, the one on the top just doesn't give up. Well, and even usually in the very beginning, it starts out as fun play, but there is some ambivalence on one of their behalfs. Maybe Mm -hmm. somebody is comfortable for just a very, very short period of time, and then they start to feel uncomfortable, but they're still playing along. And when they finally hit the wall and start crying, it's bad because now they're really involved in their mm-hmm. emotion. That's the same thing with the dog fight situation. If you have an animal that comes in and is tense, or you have a dog, that's why I said the timid dogs. You have to be careful about the timid dogs because you have a dog that's walking around. He's not that comfortable. I mean, he's comfortable and he likes to be around the other dogs, but, you know, some of the rough play makes him a little nervous. He doesn't like the rowdy boys that much. <laughs> and he can get smacked, and honestly, because he's been a kind of nervous anyway it comes out in a big sound or a big reaction and it just sparks everybody else off right or because that sound or reaction is backed up by adrenaline right and fear and dogs are very sensitive to that that's that whole energy thing so we've given you some stuff to look at some stuff to think about and hopefully we'll have some video up sometime soon so that we can describe to you what we're talking about yeah i'd really like to get that going too all right, so this is Kim Reinhardt with Ape Misbehave and Canine. And Laura Burheny from Animal Attraction Unlimited. And before we go, I just want to say, if you have any questions, please go on to our Facebook page and ask questions. You can email us off the um, email address on our website. And you can also listen to Doggy Dish on iTunes. Oh, and please, if you do download us from iTunes, please rate us and write a nice review. Okay, enough of that self-serving stuff. All right, thank you very much. Bye. You have been listening to Doggy Dish, a podcast series about dog training and other related issues. To suggest a topic for a future segment, please email us at dogdishtopics at yahoo.com. To learn more about our featured trainers, or if you're interested in training for your own dog and you live in the Los Angeles area, you may contact Laura or Kim directly. To speak with Laura, call 818-800-4818 or visit her website at www.petdogtrainer.com. To speak with Kim, call 818-890-1133 or visit her website at www.beagooddog.com. Thank you for listening.